Obviously, Doctor, you've never been a 13-year-old girl. I Welcome back to Heat Fiction. I'm here today with a very special guest. Do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Josh, aka Tragic Fruit on the interwebs. I'm also the co-host of the Evil Thespian podcast, which is a theatrical art commentary podcast about theater and the theater kid and <laughs> trying to honor the Dionysian in ourselves and in culture. Great name. I always wanted to tell you that. It's a really good name for a podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And like now it's all come full circle because now like evil is like a meme. Oh yeah, <laughs> true. True. And like the little um I was gonna say profile picture or whatever. The the cover picture for a podcast kind of has that like reverse color effect as well. And that's the evil yeah. meme. So you're really yeah, yeah. you're ahead we're, of the trends. We're, yeah, we're we're trendsetters. <laughs> You really are. Um, well, I guess in a way, your the theme of your podcast has a lot to do with what I wanted to talk to you about today, which is um, the perks of being a wallflower, the book that traumatizes us all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, what's your what's your history with it? I read this book in eighth grade because I had uh, read that it was like being made into a film, and so I was like, I wanted to get ahead of the game. And feel like I had something to offer to the discourse about it, I guess. And um, and I uh, then I saw the film at freshman year. I was really I, like I was very much on like Charlie's timeline, like going into freshman year, like all that type of stuff. Yeah. So it it really like hit a nerve, I guess. And I uh, I at the time I really liked it, but rereading it as an adult, like. It's just not the same. Like, <laughs> yeah, it really isn't the same. I think I read it around the same time. I think I think I watched the movie first, um, and then because the movie came out when I was like in eighth grade, so I watched the movie and then I read the book. And um, yeah, I really liked it. I always thought Charlie was a bit weird and very hard to relate to. He is very weird. <laughs> I have a lot to say about that, actually, um, but. You know, I, yeah, I, I liked it, whatever. I felt like I was supposed to like it because like the whole Tumblr thing with it and like, you know, like the, um, the hipster aesthetics of the early 2010s, especially like with the right. movie and sort of like the blurry filter that they have on. Yeah. It, it, yeah. The film is really strange, isn't it? It does feel like it takes place in the 2010s rather than the 90s. It was, it was the Joker before the Joker. Like it had, like it was trying to, it was filmed on digital, but it like was using like late eighties, early nineties cinematography effects. Like it, and like, that's what the Joker did for the seventies. Like, it's just. Very uncanny, yeah. isn't it? It just feels like, I don't know, the whole movie kind of feels like a theater set in a way. It feels like they're just walking around the set. It doesn't feel like real life at all. Right. I was thinking about this earlier today, like that, like Logan Lerman's performance in it feels very much like he's thinking too much about it. Like he's like, just like going through the motions and he's not like, actually like, I don't know, like he's not just like living it. Like it, it's just, he's trying too hard to feel like you're, he's a wallflower, but like really, like if you're a wallflower, you're not actually thinking that you're a wallflower. Like, 
Although Charlie in the book does think that he's a wallflower, right? Like that's the weird thing about the book. Like his internal monologue is so fucking weird. I mean, Charlie, I mean, well, obviously Charlie's like traumatized by like things that happened in his childhood, but like, and he also just like lost his friend Michael to suicide, but like he's, he's just like a very sensitive person. And he's like, he's very keen to like the sensitivities of women around him too, which is (laughs) really interesting. (laughs) He's so, he's very slow. He's special. <laughs> like you know, exactly. like his teacher in the book calls him special, and he like he obviously means it as a, compl- as a compliment, and like Charlie takes it as a compliment. But like all I could think reading that was like, yeah, I guess he really is special, isn't he? Like there's just like this. I don't know. It's just is it just his internal monologue? Because he doesn't come off as that special in the film. You know what I mean? Like he seems a little yeah. more normal in the film. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I guess a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, no, I don't know. The book is weird. Reading it now, like, as I was telling you before I started recording, like, I reread it this morning. And, like, it's just so many things about it are just so, like... You know what it feels like? It's like it's like somebody trying to write a book that's, like, deliberately bad. Like, you know, it's like dumbed down because it's supposed to be written as like a collection of uh, letters by this 16 year old kid. What did you think of the language? Yeah, (laughs) well, it it definitely feels like Stephen Chbosky is like trying to uh, harken back to like a Holden Caulfield type of character here. And I mean, he like references all the great books in history and like all that type of stuff. So yeah. It just makes me think of that meme that was going around, you know, like somebody like posted a picture of like a um, stack of books, like all the, whatever, all the greatest books in history, all the books that have been banned. And yeah. um, who was it? Like some of those like Silicon Valley normie types commented it and they were like, yeah, all the greatest books in history. And it's like, and it was like, yeah, the catcher in the Rhine, like how to kill a mockingbird, like a mockingbird, sorry. Right. And that was there, it. <laughs> it seems like, it seems like there's a formula to, to getting, to getting your book banned at this point. <laughs> And and Stephen Chbosky really like uh, filled that filled it. He did it. <laughs> it's funny that because at the end of the book, uh, his teacher, who I actually want to talk more about that, like his relationship with his teacher, but like his I teacher gives him the Fountainhead is like the last yes. book of the year. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. <laughs> yes, and he's like, uh, don't take it too seriously, but you know, just be open to anything in the book, you know. <laughs> Yeah, he was like, you know, um, read it as a filter, not as a sponge. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, when I was reading it, I was like taking notes of like all the books that he was being given. Like he's he gets like Peter Pan, The Great Gatsby, a separate piece. All the outsider books. <laughs> yes. <gasps> all of the like indie aesthetic tumblr books that you would expect people to have yeah i mean the book really does feel like wait when was it written i should have looked that up before was it written in the 90s yeah it came out in 99 it feels very much like a book that came out in the 2010s you know like trying to like reference the aesthetic of the 90s yes well and even like um uh when I was watching the film, like Sam's bedroom looks very much like a Tumblr bedroom with like all the twinkle lights and shit. Yeah, like the fo- like the little photo collages on the walls and stuff. It really yeah. does. Like it's all and- just like a mood board. 
Yeah, it makes me think of that um, picture that was going around a couple of weeks ago. I'm just referencing memes by this point. Like this picture that's going on around a couple of weeks ago, that was like a girl with pink hair, like manic panic, 2010s pink hair, and a bunch of like band posters on her walls. And people were like, oh, it must have felt, and she's like playing, she's like playing a video game or whatever on like an old um, computer monitor. And like the people were like, oh, it must have, it must have felt nice to like been a teenager in the 90s and it's like clearly a picture from the 2010s there's literally an arctic monkeys poster on the wall (laughs) this is exactly what it feels like and charlie even says like when he's like looking at old photographs of his parents he's like i hope that my children look at photographs of me and think that like i can be as happy as them or like or that i already am as happy as them so it's like well what does that say about like happiness Yeah, it does. Like the whole book is so like, I don't know, soaked in nostalgia. It feels very weird for it to have actually come out in the 90s. Yeah. And it was and it was published by like MTV Books. Which is just crazy. I know I saw that at the end. I mean, I um, I downloaded a PDF of it because I because <laughs> I don't actually have any real bookstores here, so I've been having to read books on PDFs, which I know is like horrible and evil. But like at the end of my PDF, it was like yeah, like the MTV books thing. I was like, wow, like this is really a '90s book, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I can't even imagine MTV publishing books now. I can't even yeah. have anybody publishing like any publisher house. Like I don't even know any publisher houses. I mean, Penguin still publishes books, right? Or did they just republish yeah, so, classics? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> who cares about oh, them? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. No, it's crazy. It's just, it's so insane to me that like, even in the late nineties, people were so aware of like the cult that was going to exist around the nineties that they were already referencing it while they were still in the nineties. Because the nineties were like, no, it's really, it's really <laughs> sad. Yeah. It's like the whole, I mean, to reference Mark Fisher, low IQ Mark Fisher, as everyone calls him now, um, like, uh, you know, the whole ontology thing. Yes. Yeah. That it all just comes like we're just in a feedback loop. Yeah. And then there's a whole thing. There's like a whole conversation that characters in the book have at some point where they're talking about like, at some point, Charlie like starts going to a psychiatrist and while waiting, like in his office, he reads a music magazine about Kurt Cobain. And then he like, re like recounts whatever the article that he read to his friends and his friends start arguing and they're like, oh, because the article like called Kurt Cobain, the new, um, John Lennon and his friends like start arguing about it and they're like oh you know it's just because like our parents like can't like don't want to get old and so they feel like every everything now has to like reference back to the, how things were when they were young and it has like this whole element of again like nostalgia and like contact it's really creepy it is even very back creepy. then that was going on yeah so like that that speaks volumes about just like what the culture was like and like charlie has this awareness about himself that he like he can see that he doesn't really participate that he's just like an observer i mean he didn't call himself a wallflower at first it was patrick who called him a wallflower but like uh it's not good to be that aware of yourself you know like you shouldn't you should you should just like let go and just be like just do things which is what the like the the main idea of this book is is to just let go and to to give yourself over to to life yeah but at the same time like the book existing as an object that talks about these things is exactly like proving exactly the opposite point right that it's like that actually like the whole like ultra self-aware like i mean all fiction is so self-aware now like i'm so fucking sick of reading that yeah yeah, it's insane. I'm so sick of reading about people's like insecurities nonstop. Yeah. 
Well, because it's like people don't have any perspective beyond themselves. You know, they're 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 stuck in in their their strange loop of themselves. But Charlie's even aware of that. That's the weird part, right? Because he like throughout the books, he's constantly like, "Oh yeah, I guess I'm a bit weird. I guess I think a little too much. I guess I shouldn't think that much." Like the self awareness is like, you know, he's so self aware that he's self aware about the fact that he's too self aware. Yeah, it's 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 bad. Like it's it's. <laughs> I mean, it's unsustainable. Eventually, it will like crash like down in on itself. But like, like it's just like uh, therein lies like the rub of like the problem of today's society. I guess I don't know. Yeah, I'm I not a sociologist. <laughs> but I guess it says a lot that like that's the book that was that popular in the early 2010s when all of this, you know, stuff was still first like first beginning to happen. Yeah, like Do you, it's so. Well, Go for it. Sorry. (laughs) I was just going to say that Charlie, like at the beginning of the book, really exhibits like a lot of incel like qualities. I mean, hold the ball field, right? (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, he he belongs to, he belongs to a heritage, a lineage of, of uh, just really sad, sad boys, sad, lonely boys. That's what his English teacher keeps on like, you know, implying by giving him all these books about sad boys. He's like, don't you feel like you're one of them, Charlie? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Did you ever have a teacher like in high school that like would just give you books? Those are good teachers. Those are good teachers. Mine was also called Build. So I, you know, I, I really. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh God. Um, no, I actually saw him for coffee a couple of days ago. It was really nice. I, I do Aww. love him. He was a great teacher. But yeah. I, I found that. <laughs> Those are That's great. That's how I feel about life. my drama teacher. Oh, that's <laughs> no, I mean, those teachers are like good, right? Like you want to have those kinds of teachers, but like the only thing, I mean, I didn't think of that at all when I first read the book, but now rereading it. Cause I read, um, my dark Vanessa a couple of weeks ago because somebody Nothing recommended it to me. Oh, it's like this book about, um, this girl who gets, I guess, molested by her English teacher or like they begin mm-hmm. a relationship when she's 15 and it goes on until she's 24. So like they have this like long lasting sexual relationship uh, and he's like 30 years her senior. And like, that's that sounds all like, could... that sounds, I was going to say that sounds like Aria and Pretty Little Liars. <laughs> oh yeah, it really is true. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. But that's all I could think reading this book now, which is so horrible. Like, I don't, I, I don't think that like the whole, you know, how people are always like, oh, there should be boundaries between adults and children. And I think that's bullshit. Like, I think like children need like cool adults in their lives. Yes. No, I totally agree. Like I, like this book made me long for like the, like the mentee mentor relationship. Like it's so important. And like, I think that that's like what young people today are like starving for is like somebody to like take them under their wings and like show them the way. But like, nobody's doing that because they're all stuck in their own feedback loops of themselves. And they're also too scared now, right? Like they're too scared that it's going to come across weird. And like now with all these stories about like, you know, like uh, sexual assault allegations, whatever coming out, it's like, it does make it seem weird. As I was saying, like now rereading the book, I was like weirded out by it. Cause I was like, oh, it's just like my dark Vanessa, which it's not at all. Like that's, that's the weird part about it. And it's like, I think part of the reason, like, you're right. Like most people today are so like alienated and atomized is because they don't have any like role models who are older and, you know, like some model of what they should be when they're older as well. Yeah. The culture is just like 
desolate, which is sad. I, I want, I mean, I feel like our side of Twitter, I feel like kind of lucked out. We have, we have, I feel like we have role models, you know, like Jack from the Perfume Nationalist feels very much like a role model. Yeah, like people with good taste to influence your taste while you're still exactly. a baby and developing. I mean, for sure, that's necessary in the culture, right? But it's like now, I don't know. It's like, I think the culture is dominated by young people, right? And like, that's good. I mean, you know, but young people should be looked at, not listened to, which I guess is like <laughs> a paradox considering that I'm doing this podcast now. But it's like young people, no one should listen to young people. That's ridiculous. Don't listen to me. I'm like 21. What the fuck do I know? You know? Right. Well, yeah. I mean, like Friendly Woods talks about like to be a writer, you have to like know something to write it down. And like we're looking to young people to like be these like great writers. But like nobody has like a romantic idea of, a, of an old person, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. And old people, old people, you should listen to old people more. And by old, I don't even mean like actually old, like listen to 30 year olds with good taste. Like don't, you know, yes. don't listen to influencers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What are your other thoughts on the teacher since we kind of brought it up in the beginning as well? Well, he's, <laughs> he's the one that tells Charlie that we accept the love that we think we deserve. <laughs> Yeah, the, the line that, quote. <laughs> yeah, the line that everyone on Tumblr obsessed over. Why do you think that they obsessed over it? This is just like the kind of like pocketbook wisdom that people on Tumblr loved and made for a good like text post, right? Like that's why people yeah. loved it. Cause it, and you could, and you know, it's a short quote. You can put it on top of like superimpose it on like any picture of like, I don't know, a girl smoking or whatever. And that was, that was what all Tumblr was all about. Right. So like, it just, I don't know, like the format of it just worked. Yeah. It's like, and it, go ahead. smart enough to like seem wise, you know? Right. And also it like allows people to like wallow in their self-pity of like, oh, like I have low self-esteem. So therefore, like I I only accept love that I I think I deserve. Wow. Well, low self-esteem is like a whole thing in the book, right? Like his sister, like Charlie's sister at some point, starts writing all these self-help books and writing, wait, reading, reading. I don't know what's wrong with me. Reading all these self-help books. And she's constantly like any girl that he mentions to her, she's like, oh, she has low self-esteem. Oh, Sam has low self-esteem. Oh, Mary Elizabeth has low self-esteem. So low self-esteem is like a whole, like, you know, subplot on its own. Yeah. But after reading the drama of the gifted child by Alice Miller, like, I, I feel that we, it's not the, the love that we think we deserve. I think we accept the love that we need in that moment. You know, like I think love, because uh, like there's, I mean, there are love languages, you know, people, people's like, understandings of love are, are so different. You know, if I give you a present, like that's my way of, you know, giving you, showing you love. But, um, you know, but like with Lana, Lana like needed to be like, like, you know, like hit your smack to like feel love because she needed to feel something. And like, that is a form of love for her. So it's like, I don't know. I think it's, it's, it's too, it's too general and wallowing in self-pity to, to 
really be true, but perfect for like the Tumblr generation. It is. I mean, it totally like, you know, it takes up all the responsibility from you, right? Because it's like, oh, you know, you were abused, like abuse is a whole like thing in the book as well, like a sub theme, like everyone in the book is abused in one way or another. I don't know if that's in the book as well, but like in the film, it's also like implied that like Sam was molested as a child as well. So it's like all these kids roaming around this town, all of them molested and all of them (laughs) blows up the steam. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but like that really feeds into like Chabosky's theme of like repression. Cause like if you're molested, like it's so, like that's one thing that you really do want to repress. Oh, yeah. It's the whole like repressed memories, satanic panic thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, cause like the moment that Charlie and Sam are having like an intimate moment for the first time, it's finally happening. And then like, he, he loses it because like his his molestation memories start coming back from his aunt so, so uh, yeah but didn't he sleep with mary elizabeth where am i yes. he did right yes yes <laughs> that that's true he did at the like towards the in the middle uh, yeah so is he so is he only so is he only feeling that with Sam because she was also molested? So it's like some weird kinship of sorts. Maybe, or like maybe like because he didn't feel anything for Mary Elizabeth really that much that like he was able to just like disassociate from it all. Yeah, true. Because he keeps on saying like throughout the book that like Sam reminds him of his aunt, which is like so creepy thinking in retrospect, what the fuck did that girl do to deserve that? No. And, 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 and Sam even like, like revolts against that idea because she's like, I want someone to love me for me. And like, I want that, like, if somebody loves me, I want them to like take me right then and there and like show me that they love me. Like, I don't want somebody to just like wait around. It's <laughs> like, I like it rough, Charlie. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh god Sam is so fucking annoying she's probably my least favorite character in the book I really don't like her what did she you probably, think of Sam yeah I feel like she probably like, grew up to be like uh, a therapist oh yeah and she married Rich as I was telling you like we were texting about those I told you she probably married Rich and became like a therapist somewhere in like Portland Oregon and now she's yeah. just like yeah perpetuating the whole like there's this one bit at the end of the book like right before they have their uh, intimate moment where she's like um what is it that she said i i would look for it but honestly i'm probably not gonna find it but it's something along the lines of like you know like um you just let people like talk to you you just let like other people's lives happen to you and you don't really live your own and it just seems like something like some therapist would post an instagram and like (laughs) an infographic you can just see it it's ridiculous so you're right she probably grew up to be a therapist (laughs) yeah she's one of she's yeah i don't i yeah i I mean i don't know like i yeah (laughs) just a while a while to think about yeah but did you did you you think charlie actually grew up to write because i doubt it like throughout the whole book he reads like five books and we're supposed to pretend that he's this like super literary person I mean, Bill does say, like, you're going to go off and become a writer. I think you could be a writer someday, Charlie. I want Chabosky to, like, write, like, uh, a sequel, like, uh, Ghost of the Watchmen style, where, like, Charlie, like, turns out to be, like, a MAGA supporter and just, like, totally dashes all of our dreams Oh, and yeah. our I, I would, associations with him. I want to read that sequel. And that's the sequel we need. That's the sequel we deserve. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're so well, that right. was like, 
that was like one of the like reasons, another reason why I, like I was drawn to this book was it was like a, like a standalone and it was like the author's only like big book. You know, I had like an obsession with like authors who like wrote only one major book and then like kind of couldn't do it ever again. Like I was always really fascinated with that, with that. Oh, yeah, you were telling me about that. Which are some other yeah, that, books that you obsessed over? Like To Kill a Mockingbird, Catcher in the Rye. I mean, I know that like J.D. Salinger or like F. Scott Fitzgerald all wrote other books, but like you really only associate like Catcher in the Rye with J.D. Salinger and you only really associate Great Gatsby with F. Scott Fitzgerald. I think I'm beautiful in the damned. That's probably because it's my favorite Fitzgerald book. So I'm like constantly in my head, I'm like beautiful in the damned. Also because they were like a number of albums called The Beautiful and the Damned for some reason. You know, like- Interesting. um, What's his name? G-Eazy? Yeah, G-Eazy came out with an album called The Beautiful and the Damned (laughs) when I was in high school and everyone would pray at a party. So it's like forever ingrained in my brain. But uh, (laughs) it's just me. But um, that's beautiful. Yeah, it's it's a some really good quote unquote good memories. Um, no, yeah, no, that's true. I mean, he also wrote like like some weird thriller, like a horror book. Yeah, ordinary friend (laughs) or imaginary friend. No, no, never. (laughs) The cover looked horrible. (laughs) I judge all of my books by covers now. So, like, if I see a book and it has a horrible cover, I'm never gonna read it. If any publishers are listening, there you go. You gotta, yeah. you gotta, <laughs> you gotta step it up. Seriously, no, it's awful. I went to a bookstore today and I just looked up. I posted about this and I looked at books. I saw your tweet. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I it's honestly like horrifying. They're disgustingly ugly. All of them. It's like revolting. Yeah. The, like the cover for. Have you seen the cover for like the Vanishing Half? That that book that everybody's like talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's I ugly. So ugly. So is the cover for Detransition Baby. They both have this very like similar color scheme. Like the the people are like melting into each other. Disgusting. Disgusting. I actually heard that Detransition Baby is really good. So I've been wanting to read it, but the cover turns me off. I read it and I felt like uh, it has like a really interesting premise. I'm I'm very interested in like the triad. of parenting parent like triad parenting but like the author just like inserts so much like queer theory and like it's just like telling me like this is what queer theory would say about this and i'm like i want to make my own conclusions you know like you don't have to tell me yeah. that trans people suffer the most from like homelessness you know like i like i can get that you know from the stro- like from what i've witnessed in my own life you know i don't need yeah. i don't need you to tell me I mean, you should just be able to read the book and get it from like the narrative and not like the, you know, exactly. the, the side notes of like, oh, this is actually whatever. I think the person being a wallflower kind of does that as well, where it's like, it really, I guess it's supposed to be a book for teenagers or whatever. So it has that like children's story, like this is good. This is bad thing. You know, I don't know. I didn't, yeah. I mean, obviously I didn't notice it when I was younger, but like rereading it now, I was like, okay, I, I get it. I get what you're trying to say. You don't have to say it twice. Right. I did find it like the part where Charlie like keeps masturbating to Sam really funny. And he's like, oh my God, I can't <laughs> do this anymore. Like this, this is terrible for her. Like I feel awful. <laughs> yeah. He's really like, I respect women for the whole thing right he's yeah. like I, I really respect women i have to tell them like when he yeah when he masturbates to sam and then he tells her about it like he has a wet dream about her and he tells her about it and the same with like mary elizabeth like it's ridiculous yeah and then sam was like you can't do that charlie like you can't tell me that you're having wet dreams about me 
<laughs> oh god no i mean i find that bit funny as well where she like tells him when he's supposed to go on a date with mary elizabeth and she like tells him all the things that he shouldn't do it's literally like a tumblr uh, text post where it's like don't tell her she's pretty tell her her outfit is nice because she's she actually put effort into it her beauty is not her choice or whatever like things like that it's literally something i reposted in like 2012 you know <laughs> yeah I mean, that, that was the blueprint. That was the blueprint for today's culture. Right it was, there. it was terrifying. It's, yeah, it's literally like, you know, liberalism, the novel. Exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Do you think that Mary Elizabeth had a Tumblr? Oh, she probably did. Yeah, she probably did. I mean, we were talking, talking about this as well. She probably, you know, went on, she went to Berkeley and then she became one of... Um, who? Judith Butler's Wait. cronies. Oh, yeah. yeah, she did. <laughs> oh, I can see that. I can just see that happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like, I guess, like, you should, I don't think you should ever trust like a, a, a teen Buddhist. Yeah. No, all of all of the Gen Xers I've ever met, which was like the majority of my teachers, they were all like into Buddhism or like some other weird form of like nonconformist religious practice. And like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually like Gen X. Is it the edge? Is it the aesthetics? It must be. I think like I they don't annoy me as much as like mainstream millennials do. Or and they don't annoy me as much as Gen Z does, my own generation. Yeah. I mean, Gen Z is like weird, right? Because it's really like split into two camps. Like you have like on one hand, like the imitation millennial Gen Z, which are like all in TikTok dressed in like, I don't know, some fast fashion, whatever. And then the rest of them are like, I don't know, reading Deleuze at like 16 and being like anonymous e-girls. Like it's really like really split. Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel like I belong to like the early Gen Z because I was born in 97. Oh, yeah. But I mean, it's not that much about like when you were born as much as it is about like the aesthetic that you adhere to. Mm. Like, are you uh, a doomer type or are you like a yuppie? <laughs> like, that's I'm, definitely, really- I'm definitely I'm definitely a doomer. I'm very cynical. Okay, then you're in the cool camp. Yeah, because most of my, like, I'm Gen Z. Most of my friends are yuppies. It's crazy. All of them are, like, working yeah. corporate jobs now. It's very sad. Um, I mean, but also you have to, you, you just have to get by at a certain point, which sucks. Yeah, but it's like, they're really into it, you know? Oh, that's, that's, a, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, don't be into it. Acknowledge that it sucks. <laughs> the whole Gen Z yuppie thing is so weird, though, because it's not like you're a yuppie and then you get to buy a cool apartment. You're never going to own anything anyway. You just work for the sake of it (laughs) and it's very sad Gen Z was like a more i don't know unified united generation like you like when you think of gen x it's like a very particular aesthetic yeah like i I think of like sonic youth and like the smiths and yeah yeah the smiths in a book (laughs) oh my god she, Stephen Chbosky managed to make the Smiths even gayer. Like <laughs> <laughs> he did, how, he really did. How like having like obsessing over a sleep like that is the song that you want to <laughs> you want to feature in the book. 
Oh my God. I, I think I tweeted about that at some point. Like I didn't like the Smiths at all until I moved to the UK. And that's when I got really into them, which makes sense. Cause you know, listening to the Smiths in London, is just like the perfect match. But like, right. um, when I was younger, like the only song, like the only the Smith song that I've listened to was asleep because of the phrase being a wallflower. <laughs> I can't listen to that song now. It's just a trigger. some sort of like, <laughs> <laughs> weird what? reflex in me it just it kills me i can't i can't i can't listen to it anymore well yeah and i just like picture like charlie just like twirling in his bedroom to that song like it's just not it's not good also in the like in the book the tunnel song is landslide by fleetwood mac but and then then in the film it's heroes by david bowie and then they're like what is this song <laughs> You know who the Smiths are, but you don't know who, you can't tell a David Bowie song? <laughs> that, is, that is the weirdest part in, in the film, right? Like, because I rewatched the film yesterday with my sister and like, even she, and she's like 13 and she was like, how do they not know what song this is? Like, why? They're supposed to be like music snobs. How do they not know? <laughs> exactly. Yes. Like, you know, like, I, I feel like the Smiths fans and David Bowie fans, like, kind of, like, run in similar circles. Like, they would they would know each other. Oh, absolutely. And Heroes is, like, one of his most famous songs. Like, literally. It's not, like, some random song that he recorded in the late 90s or whatever. Like, it's famous. <laughs> it's really, really famous. It's funny, though, because the last scene in um, the film, like, the person being a wallflower, is parallel to, a, like, the scene that takes place in Christiana F., to the same song. Cause like, I don't know if you ever watched the Christiana F movie, but like in, in the movie, they're like, um, basically they're, they, they had just like stolen a bunch of um, money from like, um, an ATM and they're running through like a large tunnel in like some underground mall and like heroes is playing or just running. And it's the same sort of like, you know, freedom of youth and, uh, I don't know, no consequences and just being young and being alive kind of thing. So I guess that's what the filmmaker was going for with like the last, mm-hmm. like, but it just doesn't work. Cause it's like, are these kids like so snobbish but also so stupid that they don't know what I guess that makes a lot of sense because that's how the Tumblr that's why this that's why the movie feels so distinctly Tumblr because that's how everyone on Tumblr was (laughs) yes Yes, exactly like there was no there was no um understanding of like how culture like was building on top of each other so they had no they had no understanding of like how how artists were being influenced by each other they're just like oh my god i found this really cool thing and i'm gonna mix it with this thing and then i'll mix it with this thing and it's like that's not how like culture or art was like meant to be and it was all very pretentious without any real like understanding or knowledge behind it. It was like picked for them, them, us. I really mean us, picked for us by the algorithm. So it was like, oh, you like Nirvana? You like the Smiths and that kind of thing. But it's like, it's not like you actually had any understanding of where these bands come from or like what they were influenced by or who they influenced. It's just like a weird mismatch of like, you know, this, this, the, the cover of this album will look really cool as a poster on your wall. Right. Yeah. Like, you, like, I don't know how it was at your high school, but like everybody was wearing like Nirvana t-shirts at my high school. And I'm like, you don't know, like, you probably don't even know who Nirvana is. Like. <laughs> Name three songs. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and what was, what was, I feel like the worst thing about Perks Being Wallflower was that the film, at least was that it was like trying to fill a void that was left by like John Hughes films. You know, like there were like, like the teen popular teen film, like 
like there weren't that many that were coming out in the early 2010s. Like it was, it was just a very sparse um, time of culture, I guess, for young people or young teens. And then, so like, I feel like movie studios turned to like these young adult coming of age novels to like fill that void. And uh, then we got John Green out of it. <laughs> Oh my God. No, but you're so right about the John Hughes thing. I mean, I'm a John Hughes apologist, which means I'm a huge fan of his. And I think he's a genius. I like him a lot too. Yeah. I think he's a mastermind, but um, it it does feel like distinctly John Hughes is like a bad imitation of John Hughes. Like you have the soft colors and you have the quirky girls with short haircuts and you have the slightly slow boys who who don't quite know what's going on around them. (laughs) Yes, but the thing... But the thing with like uh, like uh, Perks being a wallflower was that it was like I guess slightly progressive because it had an openly gay character in Patrick. Yeah, I mean, as in you know, but in John Hughes movies, everyone's gay, so <laughs> what's really oh, it- progressive here? <laughs> <laughs> I suppose I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah, um, but you mentioned John Green, who is another um, one of our favorites. <laughs> 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 yes, I did have a John Green moment. I, I won't deny it. <laughs> oh yeah. So how um how did that start for you? Um well, because like I I was like obsessed with BookTube. I don't know if you're familiar. It's like a bunch of like these YouTubers who like did book oh, reviews. Yeah. I was like really obsessed with like Christine from Poland Bananas books. <laughs> idea what you're talking about yeah go on and um she was just like i mean she's like a big nerd and now she's like a published ya not like novelist so like she's living the dream her dream i guess (laughs) she's living the dream (laughs) are you are you confessing to something here (laughs) no no I could, I could never be a YA novelist. I'd be terrible, but, um, but they're yeah. all terrible. That's the point. Yeah, <laughs> you could, exactly. You could do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be, that would be the way I guess. But, uh, sh- uh, she was like obsessed with John Green and she had a very infectious energy about her. So like I uh, started reading John Green. I think the first book that I started with was <laughs> the fall in our stars. <laughs> Well, that's a classic. I guess so. <laughs> but John Green, like, in Looking for Alaska, he he follows the sad boy archetype that Perks Being a Wallflower follows, as well as Catch yeah. in the Rye. So he even says that is his Catch in the Rye, so... <laughs> He does. Oh my God. No, I, um, I also, I mean, obviously I read my fair share of John Green, uh, books. I was never a fan. Thank God I was saved, (laughs) but, um, I did read the fault in our stars because I think, um, because I heard the movie was coming out and like everyone in my middle school was talking about it. So I read it and I was like, okay, it's about a girl because there was like a short period in the early 2010s when literally all fiction was about kids with cancer. Yes. <laughs> like I see, that was like a real cultural moment. Yes. Like uh, my sister's keeper, the Jodie mm-hmm. Picoult novel. And then there was like, uh, no, yeah, I was going to say it's kind of a funny story, but that's a mental illness book. <laughs> <laughs> no, but there, the, but there were definitely like more than like five semi-popular cancer novels. I remember reading like three and I wasn't really into YA or anything. They were just kind of out there. They were just like available at the bookstore and I'd get them. But like, 
Um, yeah, the fault in our stars was fine. And then, and then I read looking for Alaska and that was like my, <laughs> I want to be a manic pixie dream girl kind of moment right, <laughs> it still goes right. on till today. So I guess I, I was really influenced by the book. I'm kidding. But like that book, <laughs> <laughs> no, that book, it's better than his other novels. I'll give it that. Right. And then, well, and then like John Green, like tries to subvert the manic pixie dream girl archetype in paper towns. <laughs> With Cara Delevingne. <laughs> oh God, I watched that movie. She was so awful in that. <laughs> yeah, so bad. I liked, although I liked the interview where she was like acting like a bitch to the news reporter, and they were like, "You seem like you have a are not in a good mood today, Cara." She's like, "No, I'm fine. I'm fine." <laughs> I remember that interview actually. Yeah, that was a good one. You should always be a dick to journalists. But like, no, yeah, I don't know. He did really try to, yeah, because like the whole like I guess twist and paper town, paper towns was like that fact that she like at the end of the book where he like finds her as she joined the circus or something along those lines. She's like, no, but you don't even know me. I'm not that special. I'm just like troubled, like just like you, and I'm just like you, and we're all the same. And I'm just going for my own shit. And he leaves, and he goes home, and he goes to prom. Like that's the ending. Yes. <laughs> like, oh my. God. Yeah. Like we're all just like searching for an identity, but we have nothing to like really base our identities off of, except for like cynical theories that have been given, have been handed down from academia. Yeah. I mean, I'd rather be cynical than be dumb enough to enjoy a John Green (laughs) novel. But I mean, you're allowed to enjoy it when you're a kid because it's like, you know, right. You don't know better. Yeah, yeah, you don't exactly. know better. And I remember like sobbing in the theaters to Fault in Our Stars, like at, at the the eulogy scene. Oh. <laughs> I lost it. <laughs> I mean, you're allowed to cry to movies about kids having cancer. I think that's just being a human. Like, even if it's a bad movie, you know? Like, right. I like almost cried at like the ending scene of the perks of being a wallflower yesterday um not the ending scene but like the one where he has a breakdown oh my god the breakdown we have to talk about the breakdown we do yes what did you think of the breakdown um uh, it it was uh, super dramatic i I felt like uh logan i i mean i just like didn't believe that he was like actually like a shy introverted person so like it was very hard to like believe that scene but yeah i thought nina dobrev (laughs) i liked i liked her when she's like charlie (laughs) i love (laughs) like she was she was great in that moment (laughs) (laughs) yeah god i I actually yeah i I was like a huge deal that she was in that movie because that's when the vampire diaries were like super popular right so like her being in this like indie was it an indie movie even it was kind of marketed as an indie movie either way yeah like mainstream indie kind of yeah yeah it had that whole early 2010s thing to it but like yeah it, it was like a huge deal that she was in on um and she, she's good in it I, I guess it's funny though because like the sister is like I, I mean I know they had to like I know I don't know summarize the book into a film or whatever but like the sister is like a much bigger part of the story and the book and she's right. like a much she gets- more interesting character wait sorry I think yeah. there's like a slow delay so we keep on talking over each other oh. 
<laughs> Sorry. Uh, she, she, uh, yeah, in the book, she gets an abortion and Charlie like takes her to go get the abortion, which I mean, I guess I'm kind of glad that they took that out of the film because like I, I don't want liberal feminist politics to have to. I mean, it's the, the book, the movie already had it going, the liberal feminism politics going, but like we didn't need any more of it. <laughs> but it was. Oh my God. Yeah. Like I, as I was reading that today, like literally an hour before we started recording, I was like, Oh my God, that literally reads like, um, there's a movie with Barbie. I forget what her last name is. Oh, the, the, um, the woman from euphoria. Euphoria. Yeah. There's a movie yeah. with her that came out recently. I mean, I only watched the trailer for it about like two girls who one of them gets pregnant and they go all across like multiple States to get an abortion because it's like illegal in their state. And, and like, as they're on this like road trip to get that abortion, they go up to like the amusement park and they meet a bunch of boys and whatever. And they just have grand all time. <laughs> and like, it kind of really has that feeling in the book as well, where it's like abortions are so great. It's so fun. You know, it's like a whole like sister, brother bond experience yeah awful uh, awful yeah evil truly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah not yeah but I'm glad they didn't include that <laughs> yeah I mean it would have gotten reposted on tumblr like a million times it could have been a way more right. popular movie it could have been a political statement <laughs> but I'm glad they right didn't well uh, then we would have had to like experience like a Jezebel article about it <laughs> There was a Jezebel article about it anyway, because they wrote about literally everything <laughs> for like a long time. No, but um, yeah, no, that was a weird moment in the book. I mean, what I thought was interesting about the whole sister uh, storyline, though, was like the boyfriend that she has in the beginning of the book, the one that she keeps on making fun of. And then he punches her and then she falls in love with him. Yeah. It's kind of like that thing you were saying before, you know, he punched me and it felt like a kiss. Yeah. I mean, I, it'd be interesting to explore like what her childhood was like, you know, what, like what her relationship with her parents was like. What did you think of the parents in this book? That's a good question. Actually. I don't know. I mean, they were just kind of there, I guess they were supposed to be good parents, right? Like they're supportive and they're kind of like non-judgmental. They're kind of like the parents from uh, Call Me By Your Name, yeah. slightly less um, LGBTQ plus friendly. <laughs> the ideal suburban parent. Yeah. Yeah. Like they keep to themselves, but they're also like, you know, cool with you smoking weed once in a while, like those kind of parents. Yeah. Well, Charlie's dad had like a really great quote where he says like, not everyone has a sob story, Charlie. And if, even if they do, it's no excuse. <laughs> that is actually a good quote. That's like a legitimately good quote, you know? <laughs> yeah. Why didn't that make it on the Tumblr, Yana? Let's, let's unpack that. <laughs> well, because it implies that um, some people are just born evil, right? And like that goes against the whole, <laughs> I mean, I know it was a rhetorical question. I'm just answering because I think it's fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, um, I think, yeah, because it like implies that some people are born evil, right? Like some people are just problematic <laughs> just because, well, as you know, the whole Tumblr liberal, whatever ideology is that like, you know, I don't know, being poor makes you evil or whatever. Like, it's not the whole thing. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are a lot of like, I mean, that's. It makes sense that the book was written in the 90s because there's still some parts in the book that are like 
normal and like make sense <laughs> because if it were actually written in 2010s because like like liberalism in the late or like mid 90s was still kind of normal like it was right. right it was like cringy sure but it was kind of like they still acted like normal people who understood that you know things happen and some people do evil things and it's okay and it's like whatever right but like they understood all these things and then by the 2010s everyone just kind of forgot that like you know we're human <laughs> Right. And like, yeah. so I guess, yeah, those kinds of parts where they like talk about evil or like, um, I don't know, people like doing bad things, like that's when the novel feels the most human and like less than like what? a lesson. Well, and going back to like how this book is very 90s is like uh, Patrick's boyfriend, Brad, like gets beaten up by his father when he finds Patrick and Brad together. Which, like, I guess that still happens today, but, like, I think if the book were written today, there would be, like, a much more, like, inspirational kind of uh, tint to it. Um, and, like, it would be, a, like, a Love, Simon type of story where, like, the parents are actually much more accepting of of Brad and Patrick. Um, but I, I like, what I liked about this book was that, like, Patrick has to actually like sit in the wallow. Like he kind of has to like sit in the muck of like that relationship um, after like the, the, the incident with Brad and his dad, like, you know, and he, and he turns to like alcohol and he, he takes Charlie to like <laughs> a bunch of like clubs and, and, and to go cruising. And I, I love the part where Charlie like sees the, the weatherman. There's something, there's something about the weatherman. Cause like in my city, we have like two gay weathermen. I think there is something about that profession that like, just like breeds gay men. Yeah. I mean, when I imagine <laughs> a weatherman, it is someone very obviously gay. You're right. Yeah. You're right. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh god <laughs> no i mean yeah the, the part where they go cruising in the park is fun i like that part i think it's really funny and i also like the part where you know like um basically patrick like tries to kiss charlie multiple times like every time they go cruising after it they like make out in the car and then later on when sam is like giving her monologue about how charlie should like step it up and make it rough you know she's like oh you know like when patrick kissed you did you actually like it and he's like no obviously not and she's like then why did you let him and he's like uh i don't know it just felt right and she's like no you have to say no when you don't feel like it like that was this whole thing yeah that's a very like uh Camille Paya way of femi like of feminism <laughs> <Yeah>. sexual relations. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. Yeah. You have to you have to fight for yourself. <laughs> exactly. But I, that that like really speaks to like how Charlie like understands friendship that he's like no like I put myself before or I put others before myself. Like I will give myself over to others in the service of like, you know, something bigger. Yeah, he has a very modernist outlook on life, right? Because it's like, I will sacrifice everything for the sake of the, I don't know, the big and the important. Yeah, he kind of has like a torch song uh, tint, like vibe to him where he like, uh, you know, he wants like, he wants to like give himself over to, you know, Sam or, you know, somebody, somebody, something bigger than himself, religion, I don't know. Yeah, maybe he just becomes a priest later on. That would make a lot of sense if he just becomes like super religious. 
That would be that would be amazing. That might actually like change the culture a bit. I want to read that. <laughs> we should like we should email him and be like, we really want to read a sequel, and this is what we want to see. You know, like the whole like <laughs> audience interacts with the artist thing that goes on now. <laughs> no, that feels but, very um, that that feels very much like in the Fall in Our Stars, where they're like, we need to know what the ending is of this book. <laughs> Oh my god, I forgot that was a whole subplot in the book. God, that book is so Oh my god. I don't I don't even Which... want to I just all I think about when I think of the Fault in Our Stars is the Charlie XCX song. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Iconic. So good. Well, and I also like now that I think about it, like that is so incredibly narcissistic. Like they're like, we need to know for ourselves. But like for like fuck you, the artist. Like they have absolutely no respect for art. Or the artist. Yeah, they're dying kids. This is their last wish. They're like, we have cancer. We need to know. And the other is like, well, what the fuck am I supposed to do with them? <laughs> oh, God. No. I mean, that's like culture at large. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if people would give themselves up to uh, something like the cosmos and looking to something bigger, I think potentially that could that could solve some of these problems but alas here we are that's what charlie tries to do and they all judge him for uh they're all like really mean about the fact that he's trying to like he's like trying to keep this friend group together and you know like be a good friend to people and they're like no you should be you should be selfish you should just only think of yourself and what you want to do charlie and it's like are you all stupid? Like, do you not like, why would you, like if somebody, you know, if you had a friend who was like willing to listen to you whine about your ex-boyfriend for like weeks and weeks on end, wouldn't you appreciate that person as a friend? Like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I guess like these, they, like Sam and, and like Mary Elizabeth are like, well, yeah, I guess we already like covered that Sam and Mary Elizabeth are awful. <laughs> Yeah, they're so, God, they're so narcissistic. It's like they're so narcissistic. They want other people to be narcissistic too so they can feel better about themselves being narcissistic. Yeah. Damn. Patrick is better than that though. I love Patrick still. I think he's trying. I do too. Uh, What did you think of Ezra Miller as Patrick? I think it worked really well. I think he was good. I do too. I think, I mean, that's like his only role, right? He was also in, we need to talk about Kevin. That's about it. And then he like punched someone in the face and his career was over. <laughs> I think he's, I think he's one of our best actors, honestly. It sucks that like he's been relegated to the the sidelines, but like, I think he, he, I think, I just think he, he's so interesting. I mean, his, his look to the Met Gala was awful, but like, but. It's like non-binary, right? They, them, yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what, yeah. Yeah, whatever, he, um, but <laughs> no, he, he is, he's really handsome too, but like in a kind of like, in an ugly kind of way, which is like, I mean, all really beautiful people are kind of ugly. That's the whole thing. Yes. Like they don't look like Barbie dolls. They look like flawed and human and he's really pretty. Yeah, he's charming. He has, he has really great cheekbones. He does, yeah. And his hair in the film suits him really well as well. Like, they have that awful, like, early 2000s hair for some reason. Like, most of the characters, it's not very 90s. But, like, um, his hair looks great. I love his cardigans uh, as well. <laughs> yes. And when they call, when he, the teacher, the shop teacher calls him nothing. Oh. Yeah, no, that's, that's, <laughs> that's cool. It's, it's like, so, like... Yeah, it's and like I don't know, like 
yeah charlie's like i shouldn't call him nothing like he has a name like that's so sweet it is yeah no ezra miller was great um emma watson hmm. what do you think of i know emma watson sam i just always go back to the line where she's like he's still trying to shack that guy from or that girl from the olive garden like she just like over enunciates to a like and almost like makes it seem like she has like a like a, a mid like a minnesota type of accent <laughs> wait where do they actually live is it ever is it ever it's Michigan? in yeah they live in the suburbs of pittsburgh oh yeah because they all go to penn state right like yeah like multiple characters will end up going to penn state yeah right um his sister goes to sarah lawrence which is also a little fun detail as well <laughs> whose sister Charlie's sister. She ends up going to Sarah Lawrence. Oh, yes, 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 yes. What is it? What is I mean, I know it's like an all-girls school, isn't it? It used to be. I think it's co-ed now, but it's like, it's basically, um, well, it's one of the seven sisters, right? So it's like Ivy League for girls. And it's like super oh. liberal, super feminist. Um, what's her name? Um, Kat from 10 Things I Hate About You um, ends up going to Sarah Lawrence as well. Oh, well, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it's that kind of place. It's, it's funny, though, because they change Mary Elizabeth's, because in the book, Mary Elizabeth goes to Berkeley, and in the film, she goes to Harvard, which yeah. I guess they were trying to make her more likable. <laughs> I guess, but is Harvard even more likable? I feel like only like a niche group of people know how bad Berkeley is, but everybody seems to know how bad Harvard is. Like Harvard is supposed to show that you're like smart and sophisticated, and really rich, right? And then Berkeley is like, you just have, you just hate your parents. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> God, Yikes. no, there's so many like little like niche details in the book that I think it's kind of. Again, the reason the book feels so distinctly 2010s is because it feels like an internet age kind of book. Like, it feels like, you know, it memes itself into existence. Right. It made me, it made me nostalgic for like mixtapes. I love, like, that was like very, that became very popular, I think, through Tumblr a little bit too. And yeah. I, I, I love the idea. I, I mean, I still make playlists like around a theme or anything <laughs> for someone. I, just, I, I think, it, like, I just like doing that. Me too. I also make playlists all the time. Um, yeah, and I used to do that for people as well. I actually that makes me think of something because um, I tweeted about that as well recently. I just keep on mentioning my Twitter lately. I don't know, um, but like uh, I tweeted about this recently. But when I was like sixteen, I was really in love with this boy, and we had this like crazy relationship for a couple of years. And I once made him read *The Perks of Being a Wallflower*. I don't even know why. I didn't even like that book by that point. It just kind of like seemed like the right book for him to read. And I remember him, I, he read like 50 pages. And then um, when it went into like the description of Patrick's and Brad's relationship, he was like, this book is really gay. I don't want to read it anymore. I just like, <laughs> it is very gay and not, and not in a good way. <laughs> yeah. Right. It is very gay in a really bad way. <laughs> Oh God, no. It's funny as well. There's this one moment in the book where um, they're doing Secret Santa and um, mm. Charlie gives Patrick a present, which is like 
a bunch of like little things and he gives him like a like a fridge poet magnet thing where he's supposed to like make little poems as magnets on the fridge and like then he gives him like um like a suit jacket or something and then he also gives him a mixtape which has a sleep by the smiths like three times on it God, and then in the, I don't actually remember if that's in the book at all, but like in the movie when they're like exchanging presents and Patrick is like, this mix, you know, this present is so gay. It feels like I gave it to myself. <laughs> right. Well, because he also got the the life and times of Harvey Milk, right? Oh, yeah, he did. God. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. He's kind of going Harvey, off on a... T- Wait, go for it. Sorry. I was just gonna say Harvey Milk was like the only like gay icon at that time. The only the only archetype that we had the gays had to look to at that time. Wait, that's As Larry true, Kramer. Besides oh, Larry yeah. Kramer, I guess. But like but no, Larry, Larry Kramer was no, not mainstream, right? It was like more Yeah, Harvey Milk had like a, a more of a cultural cachet because he died. And he had a like, <laughs> political career. <laughs> yeah. Which I I feel like Harvey Milk probably would have gone on to like become just like an everyday liberal, even though at the time like he uses a lot of like revolutionary like rhetoric. You probably would have, right? I mean, that's what you can say about all the people that were liberals in the nineties. I mean, everyone in the book is like kind of obsessed with Kurt Cobain because it's like the early nineties and like you know it smells like Teen Spirit and mm. just come out and it's like you just know he would have been the most like annoying liberal ever so yeah. he really did himself a favor <laughs> <laughs> he really and he did he did like it's better to get out while it's hot than <laughs> than to like to overstay your welcome i feel like yeah. patrick probably would have been like devastated by kurt cobain's deaths oh, because totally. patrick was like Patrick was like, gonna go to Portland or whatever, and he was gonna be like a music publicist. Yeah, yeah, he was going to like Washington State to like uh, be close to the scene in Seattle, as the yeah, book yeah. like describes it. Yeah, no, he would have been devastated. All of them would have been, which is like again, it's just like a 2010s thing where it's like he left us too early. R.I.P. <laughs> you know, a picture of him at MTV Unplugged. <laughs> well, and like when I was a freshman in high school, there was a kid who died, but he was like obsessed with Nirvana, and and so actually, as a sophomore. The kid was a freshman and he, uh, everybody like, that's when everybody started wearing Nirvana shirts. And it was just like this weird, like, like there, there's like the, the weird, like hauntology that Mark Fisher talks about. (laughs) It was like on a much smaller, (laughs) yeah. And it was like on a much smaller scale for this, this freshman, like, uh. That is kind of sweet, I guess. It's creepy and sweet at the same time because it's like, you know, they're honoring the, mem- the the memory of the student they probably never talked to <laughs> so they can wear Nirvana t-shirts in his honor. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. So it's a cute empty gesture, I guess. Something. Yeah. Did you ever have anybody like die in your class? Because like that's another, like Charlie's like mourning the loss oh, yeah. of his like no. his friend Michael. I never even had anyone die in my high school. I mean, I was like really small schools. I mean, my class was like 15 people at some points, wow. you know? <laughs> so like I, you know, yeah, no one died. No one even like, no one even left. It was just kind of, everyone was just kind of there. Wow. I had like, <laughs> I, 
I had a, my high school like had a lot of people die. It's so it's so weird. Like even like and like you expected like post high school, but like in high school, like that's it's it's crazy. Um, and yeah, you can't even like people like say that you can't even say like commit suicide anymore because they're like trying to like take away the the shame that's involved with suicide. You're supposed to say completed, completed suicide. Wait, what? Like it's a like a video game task? Right. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Right. Exactly. Like exactly. Like it, it makes it sound like you completed like a college course. Like uh, that's not. Yeah. The whole point, the whole, like the whole reason I'm going to go on a tangent probably, but like the whole reason (laughs) that it's like, they say commit suicide is because like you're committing to a finality. Like there's no going back. Yeah. (laughs) But people are like, that's causing like shame. And like, it's like, you're committing like the people who killed themselves, they don't fucking care. They died. What are you talking about? Right. Yes. Like, and, and there should be shame around it. Like we should, like, it, cause it, it's not, it's not a great thing. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I thought you were going to say that you're supposed to say that they died of sadness or whatever. <laughs> it just seems like the Morrissey way. <laughs> they were just, they died of being miserable. <laughs> that would be the way to go probably. <laughs> God. Um, it makes me think of this one really stupid movie I watched last summer. It had, um, oh my God, I forgot her name. She was, uh, she played Lolita in the 1997 adaptation. She was in this movie called um, Girlfriend, I think. The movie was called Girlfriend. Basically, it takes place in Seattle in uh, the 90s. And it's about this girl in high school who like turns 18. And she goes kind of crazy and she starts dating this like a local rock star. And um, she's like this spoiled girl from a really rich family and her parents are really old and she's like really ashamed of them being really old. And it's basically like, um, basically it's about her insecurities. But like at the end of the film, out of nowhere, this one friend of hers kills himself because because he really liked Kurt Cobain and Kurt Cobain killed himself. (laughs) It's just this like random subplot about this guy killing himself and they all are going around. They're like, it's so sad that he killed himself (laughs) for like the last 20 minutes of the film. You can't you can't escape celebrity culture. It's everywhere. And it's affect it's affecting people's lives. It is. Yeah, God. Yeah. No, it's crazier. What did you think of the whole like yeah, suicide subplot in uh the person being a wallflower? Like the Michael story. It felt like just like a useful like tool to like add to like Charlie's sadness. Like it didn't it didn't carry any like major weight I feel like although it, it, it I guess it made Sam and Patrick feel bad that Charlie didn't have any friends oh my god <laughs> but like that's that's so terrible to like Michael as a person I mean I know we don't get to meet Michael as a character but it's like that's that's such a betrayal to him to just be like yeah. oh he's just like a a useful plot device it is, yeah. We also never get to know why he killed himself, which I guess is supposed to be like realistic because it's like you don't know why people commit suicide, you know, like that kind of thing. Sorry, a complete suicide. That should be um. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I also feel like Chabosky kind of like alludes that it like has to do something with like the elusive suburbia. Like, yeah, like the, yeah. the conditions of suburbia are not are not uh, great for, like, young uh, people. 
Oh yeah, it's like the whole thing about like um um yeah, it's the whole '90s thing where it's like the suburbs are evil, stable jobs are evil. You know, like the whole American I- Beauty thing where it's like yeah. Oh my God, he has a stable, you know, high paying job. How evil, like how horrible is that? And he has a house and a wife and a kid and a car. Awful. I love suburbia. Like I love the fact, especially in art, because like you can just like explore whatever you want to in a vacuum because like, you know, that nothing else is happening because everything is so stable. Yeah. I mean, I love the suburbs as well. I think there's nothing wrong with the suburbs. (laughs) No, not at all. I mean, maybe the people are not as interesting as you like want them to be, but that's because like they're just normal people. I mean, yeah, when I was a senior in high school, we moved to the suburbs and I had to like go to school in the city, but I fucking loved living in the suburbs. I found it really fun. I'd go like wandering around in the forest and smoke cigarettes and like listen to whole. Like it was a great time. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> I was way more miserable living in the city. It's just, it's a myth. The suburbs are great. <laughs> I agree. More people should move to the suburbs. Honestly, yeah. Because it's like, also, you don't have to. Because I think there's a difference between the suburbs and like a little town, right? Which a lot of these like stories leave out. Because to live in the suburbs is like to still be close to the city where you can go and see an exhibition, but like have a house and like nice places to go to that are not like ridiculously expensive. But like to live in a little town, that's a different thing. That's like a culture in of its own. But like, all of these stories kind of leave that out where it's like, it ends up being the same thing, which it's not. No. Yeah. I wonder where, I, w- I mean, I wonder like what, what, where Steven Jaboski like grew up, like, you know, did he grow up in the suburbs or like, or did he, or is he like one of these like urban night metropolitan? I look down, <laughs> I look down on people who live in the suburbs types. He's probably a Brooklyn type, you know, like someone who grew up in New Jersey and then like moved to Brooklyn when he was like 18. Mm -hmm. And now he's like, he was so, you know, it was so sad there. (laughs) The suburbs really destroyed me. (laughs) I definitely get that vibe. And like, he always like writes like the, the like, uh, you know, how like we are infinite is like the, the, one of the other, like, (laughs) (laughs) is one of the other big uh quotes from this book slash film and he like is constant he's like constantly like harping on that idea because like he also wrote the screenplay for rent oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) and he directed the dear evan hansen film which has a very like similar vibe to perks being a wildflower about like a mentally ill boy (laughs) who's just like lost on the internet (laughs) We, I actually want to talk to you about that mentally ill boy lost on the internet. What is your, <laughs> what is your take? I mean, I, I'm, I've been reading this book called The Decadent Society. And like, he talks about how like, uh, Ross Duthat talks about how like, uh, being mentally, like this mental illness problem of young men, like, is uh, it's actually like good that they're able to like be online and like they're able to like experience these things because they're not actually like committing any like like they're not committing rape in society like they're just like being siloed off and like but honestly like I I, I want them to like not I want I want I want strong men to like take them under these young boys under their wings and like take them out and show them how to like build something 
Like that's what I want. (laughs) So right. No, totally. I mean, I want people to live, even if that life is miserable. I want them to live, you know, it's better to live miserably than it is to just float around online. Yeah. And I, yeah, I mean, that goes back to like our mentor mentee thing. Like if, if, if older men would take younger men under their wings, I mean, like, and that's how it was done back in like, (laughs) back in like ancient times, wasn't it? Like that they would like, I mean, granted we're not going back, but like, I think like locality, you know, and building those strong, strong relationships, like is important. And so like, yeah, like being on the internet is probably not great all the time in small doses, I guess. Totally. No, definitely. I mean, it's great. It's great. as like an addition to your life, not as your life as a whole. Right. So it's like, yeah. And this is the thing as well. Like, you know, how people are always like, oh, you know, um, that was like a whole thing on Tumblr as well, where it's like, well, at least I'm just binge watching shows and participating in like different fandoms and I'm not outside doing drugs, but it's like, go do drugs outside. Like literally, at least you're going to get a good story out of it. You know, like all you exactly. get out of your youth is like sitting in your room and watching TV shows. Like, you know, go to rehab. I don't care. Have fun. Like just live a little. Yeah. Or like find, like find an activity that you enjoy doing with other people. And like, that will, that will make you happier because <laughs> you will, you will find people who have similar feelings and, and experiences and like you learn from them and then you grow yourself. Go be a theater kid. <laughs> yes. Well, don't be a theater kid. I, I was going to say, like, Patrick has, like, exhibits a lot of, like, theater kid energy. He's, like, the film. cool theater kid, right? He's, like, the cool theater kid that is also okay with, like, the drugs. Like, that's the yeah. good theater kid type. Yeah. He, like, I mean, he, he can be, like, loud and obnoxious, but, like, at least he has good taste. He has good taste and also he doesn't want to be a theater kid forever. Like he wants to be a music publicist, not a performer, which I think sets apart good theater kids from the bad theater kids because bad theater kids want to go to Broadway, <laughs> right. which is like yeah. a whole other level of bad. But like all of them are kind of theater kids, right? Because it's like the whole thing with like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. It's like the little theater group that they're partaking. <laughs> Yeah, theater kids love Rocky Horror Picture Show because it allows them to like fully embrace like being a freak. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. Yeah, no, it's like a whole thing in the book and in the movie as well. I mean, like Charlie at some point ends up being Rocky, right? Because Craig like bails on them. And like, he's like, this was the happiest, you know, this was the happiest time in my life, just dancing on stage. And it's like... Oh my God. I mean, I was a theater kid in high school, so I don't, I don't get to, <laughs> I don't get to make fun were of this. You, were you really? I mean, kind of. I was, um, I was a stage manager and a wow. director. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was very important. <laughs> well, you'll have to, you'll have to come on Evil Thespian and we'll have to talk. Love to. I'd love to. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm always, I'm always... I'm always looking to uh, dissect that archetype and why people are so alienated by theater kids. Because they're obnoxious and ridiculous and so important for no reason. I mean, I felt so important running around the school, like, you know, trying to find somebody who like would make us the perfect costumes. Like it was ridiculous. Like what the fuck was I doing? 
But hey, no. I get to have a podcast now, so it's all cool. And worked know, it worked out at the all, end. <laughs> exactly. It all it always comes full circle. Yeah, I mean, I have a theory about all podcasters. I think all podcasters are theater, um, are theater kids at heart, but like theater kids who say who hate themselves for being theater kids. <laughs> That's definitely the energy at Evil Thespy. <laughs> 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 oh, I'm so I feel like such a shame for it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't we all? I mean, I'm sure that most of them, like most of the characters in the person being a wallflower grow up and they're like, I can't believe I fucking did that, you know. I mean, probably not Mary Elizabeth, because she probably goes up and she's like, you know, I was, I was always an artistic child, <laughs> stifled right. by the privilege of my upbringing or whatever. <laughs> Have you ever been to a midnight showing of Rocky Horror? No. I haven't either. <laughs> Maybe that needs to be like a goal that we do. <laughs> oh, totally. I remember when I first enrolled in UIL, which is like the, it's like the art school I went to. And like a whole thing, they like send out emails like saying, you know, like the whatever, the student activities that were taking part um, at the college. And one of them was um, Rocky Horror Picture Show. But it was booked oh. out until literally like June. I'm not kidding. It was like August is booked out until June. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> so Damn. I didn't get to get that out of the whole art school experience. Quite sad. But um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in a nutshell, like the person being a wallflower is basically a theory kid, liberal novel um, thing that we all get to be traumatized by. <laughs> Soaked in nostalgia. Yeah, soaked in nostalgia. And um, I mean, I guess it really kind of proliferated that, right? Like that feeling of nostalgia and 90s obsession. And the film contributed to that as well, where it like took the best, quote unquote, the best parts of the 90s, which is like the music and the mixtapes and the, you know, the quirky outfits or whatever, and like made that into a whole online subculture genre thing. I wonder, because, you know, the fall of the, like, the fall of the Soviet Union happened in, like, 89. So I wonder how much that, like, that idea of, like, the end of history played into Chbosky writing this book. And that's why it, like, kind of, like, falls into this cyclical kind of, of feeling. Well, absolutely. I think you're right. I think it kind of did because again, to like bring it back to like that one conversation that the characters have with each other where they're talking about like Kirk Bain and the Beatles and whatever. And I think it's Patrick who says it's like, it's already been done, right? It's like the Beatles had the sky to aim for. And now the sky is the Beatles. Like people don't see beyond that because back then that kind of fame and that kind of influence was unimaginable. And now it is So like people can't even imagine anything but that. Damn. <laughs> that's, Sad, that's isn't so it? It is so depressing. <laughs> well, I mean, now we don't even get to be famous anymore. So <laughs> right. that's, like a, that's like a whole thing. I've been talking about this nonstop for weeks. I've been talking about sad girls and I've been talking about the death of like fame that nobody gets to be famous anymore. That that's gone. Because we're all sort of famous in our own regard. Yeah, we're like famous in small niches. We're like, you know, we're all imitating like the model of what it means to be famous. Right. Yeah. I think of this all the time when people are like, you know, when somebody like decides to take a break from social media and they like post something and they're like, um, f friends and fans. <laughs> 
I've been feeling kind of bad lately. I decided that I need to take a break from social media. If you want to contact me, you always know where to reach me. Love of all of that. And it's like, you have like 30 followers. Like, what are you talking about? Like, nobody cares. Right. There's like a, this is something that Alice Miller talks about in the, the drama, The Get to Child. It's like, there's a, there, we have this grandio, grandiose idea of ourselves. And it's like, it's masking something much uh, darker and and that eventually it will like cave in on itself and we'll have to like face it eventually, which is kind of scary. So you, everybody needs to be prepared for that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's the whole thing with Charlie as well, right? That like, he's, I mean, he's kind of slow, but he's also kind of special. And then it all kind of caves in on him at the end where he realizes that like the things he went through were kind of, I mean, they were horrible. They were really horrible, but also they kind of happen to like literally everybody else around him. And it's like, he's special, but like, is he? <laughs> no, he's not. 